Hello and welcome to 2021's Fifth Fellows Choice podcast, where we will outline the highlights of May's issue of the International Journal of Gynaecological Cancer. I'm Anna Collins from the University Hospitals of Leicester in the United Kingdom. And I'm Nicolo Pizzari from Policlinico Agostino Gemelli in Rome, Italy. Wuppen and colleagues from Berlin, Germany, evaluated the rate of secondary malignancies in long-term survivors with ovarian cancer. Of a total of 225 long-term survivors with ovarian cancer, 16% of patients had at least one additional cancer diagnosis before, concomitant with or after ovarian cancer. Secondary cancer after ovarian cancer was found in 7.6% of long-term survivors. Breast cancer was the most frequent secondary malignancy. Median duration between diagnosis of primary ovarian cancer and secondary cancer diagnosis was 6.5 years. Secondary cancers were detected by screening in 35.3% and self-detected in 29.4% of patients through breast self-examination. Authors conclude that routine follow-up and cancer screening should be performed in long-term ovarian cancer survivors. Navarro and colleagues reported results from a single-centered retrospective study looking at the comparison of PET-CT scan with intraoperative sentinel lymph node mapping in early-stage cervical cancer and uterine malignancies. A total of 171 patients were included with 468 sentinel lymph nodes detected during the surgery. 85.4% 85.4% had both Radiotracer and Blue, and 14.6% had Radiotracer and Indocyanin Green injected. The overall detection rate was 95.3%, the highest detection rate was reached with ICG, 100%. Bilateral drainage was 81.9%, detected by technetium in 61.4%, by blue in 67.3%, by ICG in 92%, and by SPECT CT scan in 36.4% of the patients. Atypical sentinel lymph node locations were identified by SPECT CT in 37.4%, by technetium in 16.4%, by blue in 9.9%, and by ICG in 4.7% of the entire cohort. Sensitivity and negative predictive value of sentinel lymph node biopsy to detect lymph node metastasis using dual injection were 88.9 and 97.5% respectively. Authors concluded that SPECT-CT scan enhanced topographic delineation of sentinel lymph nodes and more accurately identified drainage of atypical locations. When ICG was used, SPECT-CT did not increase sentinel lymph node detection and did not add further information to improve sentinel lymph node localization and removal. Identifying mutation-carrying relatives of patients with hereditary cancer syndromes via cascade testing is an underused first step in primary cancer prevention. Nitechi and colleagues hypothesise that facilitated cascade testing 
will drive significantly higher uptake of genetic testing compared to the standard of care. The FACT trial is a prospective multi-institutional randomised study. The primary objective is to compare the proportion of genetic testing of identified first-degree relatives of patients with a confirmed BRCA1 or 2 mutation who are also described as probands. Probands will be randomised one-to-one to a facilitated cascade testing strategy versus standard of care. Those randomised to the standard of care group will be instructed to share a letter with their first-degree relatives and encourage them to complete genetic testing. First-degree relatives of probands randomised to the intervention arm will receive engagement strategies with a patient navigator, an educational video and accessible genetic testing services. The analysis will assess the proportion of first-degree relatives identified by the proband who complete genetic testing by six months in the intervention arm versus the control arm. 150 probands with a BRCA1 or 2 mutation will be randomised. Each proband is expected to provide an average of three relatives for an expected 450 participants. The authors hypothesise that a shift in the current paradigm transferring this role to the medical team could make a cascade testing programme more successful. Nara Simulu and colleagues conducted a single institution cohort study of 102 women with stage 3C endometrial cancer who underwent surgery between April 2003 and April 2016 and received adjuvant treatment with chemo and radiotherapy in a chemotherapy before radiotherapy approach. The purpose of this study was to summarize the outcomes of patients treated with chemotherapy before radiotherapy in a chemotherapy first or sandwich approach and compare them to the outcomes reported for radiotherapy before chemotherapy in the literature. The planned chemotherapy regimen was carboplatin with area under the curve of 6 and paclitaxel 175 mg for 6 cycles. At 3 years follow-up, for the sandwich and chemotherapy first approaches, the vaginal recurrence rate was 11.8 and 4.2%, pelvic recurrence was 0 and 1.5%, paraortic recurrence was 0 and 1.2%, distant recurrence was 42.9 and 24.4% and overall survival was 70.3% and 81.7% respectively. A range of 92 to 100% of women were able to complete at least four chemotherapy cycles with a chemotherapy approach before radiotherapy as compared with 71 to 90% reported in the literature for radiotherapy before chemotherapy approach. In conclusion, chemotherapy before radiotherapy sequencing for FIGO stage 3C endometrial cancer was associated with a high proportion of patients completing four or more chemotherapy cycles and low local regional lymphatic recurrence. Mualem and colleagues presented a very interesting video on open nerve sparing radical hysterectomy performed in the case of bulky cervical cancer. Particularly, the video describes the entire three-dimensional anatomy of the paracolpium, 
and the essential role of vaginal vessels in the anatomy of radical hysterectomy. It also demonstrates all parts of the pelvic autonomic nervous system and transection of the uterine branches only in order to preserve the hypogastric nerves, the pelvic splanchnic nerves and the bladder branches of the inferior hypogastric plexus. Lara Berg and colleagues present a systematic review of ultrastaging methods of sentinel lymph node in endometrial cancer. Inclusion criteria were pathologically confirmed endometrial cancer with sentinel lymph node mapping and report of the histological outcomes. Metastasis identified by hematoxylin and eosin staining and metastasis identified by ultrastaging were separately mentioned and there was a description of the ultrastaging method. The primary outcome was the detection of metastases identified by ultrastaging that were not identified by routine hematoxylin and eosin staining. The secondary outcome was the difference in detection rate of metastases between several ultrastaging methods. 15 studies were selected, including 2,259 patients. Sentinel lymph nodes were examined by routine hematoxin and eosin staining and subsequently multiple ultrastaging methods were used. There were differences in microscopic slicing, number of microscopic slides and the distance between slides, but all studies used immunohistochemistry. A positive central lymph node was found in 14% of patients. In 37% of patients, this was detected only by ultrastaging. Using more ultrastaging slides did not result in a higher detection rate. Due to the large heterogeneity of the studies, assessing which ultrastaging method has the highest detection rate was not possible. However, the authors identified that bread loaf slicing led to a 53% detection rate compared with the longitudinal slicing which had a detection rate of 33%. The authors conclude that pathological ultrastaging after routine hematoxylin and eosin staining led to an increased detection rate of sentinel lymph node metastasis in endometrial cancer patients. Kristen Maloney and colleagues conducted a study to establish a consensus on the specific mandatory and prohibited steps of sentinel lymph node dissection in endometrial cancer, as well as to develop a competency assessment tool. A four-round Delphi methodology was applied in order to achieve standardisation of sentinel lymph node dissection steps and tasks. Several rounds of questionnaires were sent to 35 expert gynaecological oncology surgeons from 16 countries, with the responses then aggregated, de-identified and shared with the group after each round. 70% consensus agreement standardised the specific mandatory, optional and prohibited steps of sentinel lymph node dissection for endometrial cancer and informed the development of a competency assessment tool. Consensus agreement identified 21 mandatory and three prohibited steps to complete a sentinel lymph node dissection. In particular, there was consensus that the tracer of choice must be indocyanine green, but adding other traces is optional, and that indocyanine green should be administered by superficial injection 
one to two millimetres into the cervix. The group also agreed that the sentinel node should be defined as the most proximal node irrespective of the nodal station in which the node is found. A competency assessment tool has been validated and can be used by trial governance committees as a decision aid for surgeon selection and for ongoing quality assurance in surgical clinical trials. Teresa Boitano and colleagues evaluated the impact of an enhanced recovery program on complication rates in high-risk gynecologic oncology patients undergoing non-emergency laparotomy. High-risk patients were defined as those with obesity, BMI more than 30, and or age more than 65 years. 363 patients were identified in the retrospective cohort study. Overall complication rates were less in the Enhanced Recovery Protocol Group, 29 versus 53.8%. The Enhanced Recovery Protocol Group had a shorter length of stay compared with control, 3.3 versus 4.2 days. The 30-day readmission rates were similar between the two groups. In the Enhanced Recovery Protocol Group, compared with control, complications rates were less in obese patients, morbidly obese patients and age more than 65 years. Authors concluded that implementation of an enhanced recovery program decreases complication rates and length of stay in morbidly obese and geriatric patients with gynecologic malignancy without increase in readmission rates. Capuccio and colleagues present a retrospective cohort study evaluating trends in outpatient versus inpatient hysterectomy for endometrial cancer. Inclusion criteria included women aged 18 or over who underwent hysterectomy for endometrial cancer between January 2008 and September 2015. 41,246 patient records from the large national premier healthcare database were identified. During the study period, there was a 41.3% shift from inpatient to outpatient hysterectomy and a shift towards robotic hysterectomy. Factors which enabled an outpatient approach included robotic hysterectomy, more recent procedure in terms of the year the procedure was performed, and mid-size hospital. Factors associated with inpatient hysterectomy included abdominal hysterectomy, older age, multiple comorbidities, black ethnicity, Medicare insurance status, and concomitant procedures. Outpatient hysterectomy resulted in savings of $2,500 per case, despite increased use of robotic hysterectomy. The post-discharge readmissions and complications rates remained stable at approximately 2%, demonstrating the safety of outpatient minimally invasive hysterectomy for endometrial cancer in carefully selected patients. Thank you for listening. We hope you join us again for June's Fellows Choice podcast.